Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to the special omnibus edition of Journey with Story, where you can listen to all of this month's episodes one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout-outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you'll need to listen to the individual episodes and not this version. Got it? Oh, mums, dads, grown-ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at our website, www.journeywithstory.com. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Let's take a journey with The Tiger's Whisker. Long ago there lived a young boy whose mother had died. The boy's father was a rice farmer who worked in the fields all day long, day after day. He knew how much his son missed his mother, and so he set out to find a new mother for his son as soon as possible. He went to the nearby village and he found a young woman who was happy to be his wife and a mother for his son. But when the farmer brought his new wife home, his son would not even look at her. I don't want a new mother, he cried. I want only my own true mother who is dead. No one can take her place. The new wife tried to win the boy over. She cooked the tastiest of foods and delicious delicacies, but the boy would not eat. She tried to tell him stories and sing him songs, but he would not listen. She even tried sewing him some fine new shirts, but the boy would not even try them on. As time went by, her husband grew more and more impatient. Why will my son not love you? He complained. The new wife did not know what to do. She longed to have the boy call her mother and love her as she had grown to love him. One day, she decided to seek advice from an old hermit who lived on the top of a mountain. Maybe he can make some kind of potion that will cause my stepson to care for me as he cared for his own mother, she thought. So, harbouring this hope in her heart, the woman climbed the steep mountain to ask the wise hermit for his help. Please, make me some potion that will cause my stepson to care for me, she begged. "Mm, I could make such a potion, it is true, said the hermit. But I lack a very important ingredient that would go into its making. What is that ingredient? I'll do anything to get it, so the boy will care for me and we can be a happy household, the woman said. What I need is the whisker of a wild tiger. The whisker of a wild tiger? She repeated. However will I get such a thing? You will figure out a way, said the hermit. Now, the woman knew there was a tiger that lived in a cave in the hills above her husband's fields because she had heard its fierce roar from time to time. She puzzled and prayed and puzzled some more as she walked home until at last she came up with a plan. 
That night, she left her house quietly in the deepest darkness and walked to the hills where the tiger lived. She took with her a dish of rice cooked in a little meat broth. Trembling, she tiptoed to the mouth of the tiger's cave where she set the dish down on a flat rock. She backed away slowly, but not so far that the tiger could not see and smell her. She took a deep breath and called to the tiger in a musical voice. At first, he did not come out, but she continued to call to him softly, softly. After a time, he did come out. He sniffed at the rice in the dish, raised his head, and looking straight at her, gave her a terrible growl. She shivered, but did not run away. Then, keeping his suspicious eyes on her, the tiger ate all the rice from the dish and went back into the cave. The woman quickly removed the dish and ran home with it. The next night, she returned. She put the dish of rice at the mouth of the cave and stepped away again, singing the tiger's name, but this time she did not step as far away as before. Again the tiger appeared, and though he growled as before, he ate the rice more eagerly, seeming not to notice that she stood closer. The next night after that, the woman returned for a third time. This night, the tiger came out of the cave more quickly, as if waiting for her, and this night, the woman stood even a little closer as the tiger ate. And so it went, night after night, after night, until the tiger no longer growled at the woman, and the woman no longer trembled. Finally, one night, the woman did not set the dish on the ground, but she held it in her hand for the tiger to eat out of it. The night after that, she did the same thing, and with her free hand, she scratched the tiger's soft, furry head. The tiger looked up at her with his large golden eyes and stood very still. Gently she spoke to him. Dear tiger, she said, I would like one of your whiskers. The woman reached slowly into her pocket, took out small scissors and very slowly clipped one of the tiger's long whiskers. The tiger gave a low, not unfriendly growl and clawed the ground. Then he shook his head briskly and walked back into his cave. The woman sighed. Oh, thank you, tiger, she said. She ran as fast as she could to the hut of the hermit and she found him stirring something in a pot over a fire. Look, look, she said, I have brought you the whisker of a tiger. Now you can make the potion that will make the boy love me. The wise hermit took the whisker in his fingers and examined it closely. He turned it this way and that. Indeed, he said, it is truly the whisker of a wild tiger. Saying this, he dropped it into the fire where it sizzled and burned to an ash. What have you done? the woman shouted. It took me weeks and weeks to get near enough to the tiger to get that whisker for the potion. Now you have burned it up. 
You do not need it, said the hermit quietly. Is the boy less responsive than a savage and bloodthirsty tiger? I think not. Go, win over your stepson as you did the tiger, with gentleness, persistence, and a great deal of patience. And so the woman went back to her house. From that day forward, she cooked meals for her stepson. She cleaned his clothes. She sewed him fine shirts. But no more did she try to press him to sit with her or coax him into talking to her. She countered his angry scowls and sulky moods with love, with kindness, with patience. Until at last, after many months had passed, there came a day. And the boy felt lonely at bedtime, and he called out to her. Please, will you come sit with me? Yes, of course, gladly, the woman said. Shall I tell you a story, my son? The story of a wild tiger who became my friend? Yes, mother, cried the boy. And together they sat, hand in hand, as the words of the story filled their hearts with hope and love and joy. Let's take a journey with A Mother's Love. Long ago, after the Creator had made all the beings of the earth and sea and sky, he called all the mothers and their children together. He wanted to study the creatures he had made. He wanted to look closely at their wings and arms, their feathers and fur, their tails and manes, their eyes and snouts and beaks and lips and tongues, the creator knew that everyone required proper nourishment, a safe place to live and sleep, to hide and hunt, and he wanted to make sure that each of his creations would be warm during the winter time, cool in the harshest heat, and comfortable in the places they called home. Every mother came, and one by one they paraded their children before the creator. They nudged their offspring to swim or fly or strut to show off their finest features. Every mother sighed with delight as she watched her child. Owls hooted and opened their eyes still wider as their mothers instructed. Spiders, bowing to their mother's wishes, spun delicate silvery webs. Elephants swung their trunks to and fro with great gusto. Giraffes stretched out their necks long and high. Leopards preened, showing off their dazzling spots, while zebras swayed in their zigzag stripes. The creator was pleased. Every one of his creations was special in its own way, and he liked what he saw. That is, he liked everything he saw until, late in the day, needing sunset, when a crow stepped forward, prodding her child ahead. Here she is, the mother called. 
Surely I did not make such a creature, the creator said. Every other creature I made is beautiful, but this little crow is hideous looking. Where did you get her? The mother crow looked at the ground, her heart knotted with sorrow. She stepped in front of her child, hoping she had not understood the creator's insult. What do you mean, where did I get her? She is my child, your creation. Go find another one, the creator said, disgusted with the sight of the poor little crow. He turned away so he would not have to look any longer and added, Find yourself a beautiful child. The mother crow was devastated. She loved her child with all her heart. She looked at her and saw a beautiful thing, sturdy and shiny, with those black feathers glistening under the light of the dying sun. But she could not ignore the creator. Stay right here the mother crow instructed her child. I'm going to see if I can find another baby that's lovelier than you. The little crow bowed her head. What could she say? She only wished her mother would love her, but perhaps she did not deserve love. Perhaps she wasn't beautiful enough. The mother crow took off, flying east, searching the sky for a beautiful child. She flew past a nest of falcons and moved in close to take a look, but when she saw them, she just shook her head. Her child was much more beautiful than those babies, and so she swept toward the ground to study penguins, ducks, and geese. But she thought them no better at all. She looked at kiwis and cranes, finches and vultures, pigeons and parrots. She watched hummingbirds hovering over blossoms. She sailed past wax wings in flight. Everywhere she looked, she saw little ones who were cute and fuzzy, sweet perhaps, some of them more colourful than her own, but no one quite so beautiful. On she travelled, considering every bird she passed, flamingos and grouse, ostriches and toucans, parakeets and pelicans. She swept past owls, and turns, and the wandering albatross. But every single creature looked frail or plump, awkward or angry, pale or puffed up, when the mother crow compared it to her own child. After many hours, she flew back to her child's side, and she bowed before the creator. I have searched the whole world, she said, and everywhere I look, I see birds, but I have not found a single one, that is more beautiful than mine. She leaned over and gave a little peck on her little one's head and the baby crow's heart swelled with pleasure. Then the creator understood. You are right, he said. Every mother thinks her child is the most beautiful child in the world. And ever since that day, every child has understood that it is a mother's love that makes every child beautiful. Let's take a journey with Happy Mamas, written by me and published by the Child Welfare League of America. What makes a mama happy? 
at the dawn of day. Feeding her little ones bundles of bamboo shoots to munch and crunch in leafy forest dell. Diving deep for a fishy feast that we once gulp with whiskery snouts, then follow with a flip-flop-floppy hunk of delight. Tossing pancakes in the pan, serve the stack all sticky and sweet, turns a sleepy head into a smiley face. That's a my-baby's-belly's-full kind of happy mama. What makes a mama happy as the sun begins to climb? Teaching her joy how to hop and leap beyond the pouch, scrape a spot in cool of shade to doze and dream the day away. Teaching her calf how to follow close, trunk and tail, spray and snorkel, trumpet loud a jungle cheer. Teaching her taught how to tiptoe close, Watch and wonder, huff and puff, a dandelion wish. That's a see-how-smart-my-baby-is kind of happy mama. What makes a mama happy as clouds shuffle by? Playing with her little ones, tag the tail, loop the loop, swing and swoosh, dip and dangle all a tangle in a topsy-turvy fun fandango. Slide and slither, wibble wobble, teeter totter, wings all wonky, skate and skid, oops a daisy. peek a skip to my loo, nibble nosies, tickle toesies. That's a come play with me kind of happy mama. What makes a mama happy as Twilight glimmers, watching her little ones fly from the nest, soar up high into a world beyond of tips and tops and airy, wispy wonder. Watching her little ones all a waddle and a paddle, all a dabble and a dibble, splish, 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 off they sail with a quack, quack, quack. Watching her little one pick up baby brother, brush him off, wipe his tears, cuddle close and kiss him better. That's a see-my-baby-go kind of happy mama. What makes a mama happy at hush of night? Making music with her little ones, singing beneath a starry desert sky, a serenade for the man in the moon to make him smile and light up the night. Crooning all lullabies, hush a rock a to a whispering through the deep dark woods singing a rub-a-dub top songs in the bath while blowing bubbles floating ducks and sailing ships that's a sing-song singing kind of happy mama but as the moon glows and the stars shine what makes all mamas from desert to jungle from forest to field from land to sea, happiest by far? Having their little ones next to them, tucked up tight, all cuddled and kissed, from tusk to tail, from beak to claw, from snout to paw, from head to toe, 
That's her. My baby's loved and happy. Kind of happy mama. Happy night, happy baby. Happy night, happy mama. Let's take a journey with Mama Ostrich. The pride and joy of Mama Ostrich were her two baby chicks hatched from her very own eggs. One day when Mama Ostrich returned home from gathering food for her two dear chicks, she looked and looked for them but could not find them anywhere. Imagine her alarm when she discovered lion tracks around her two-footed chick's tracks. But even a lion was not enough to scare off Mama Ostrich. She was determined to find her babies, and so off she went, following the lion's tracks, which led her deep into the woods, and finally ended at the den of Mama Lion. In the opening through the cave there lay her own dear chicks, in the arms of Mama Lion. Oh, what are you doing with my chicks? cried Mama Ostrich. Return them to me at once. What do you mean your chicks? Mama Lion growled. These are my cubs. That's plain to see. It's not at all plain to see, said Mama Ostrich. Those are chicks, ostrich chicks, and I'm an ostrich, and you're a lion. Ha! Is that so? snarled Mama Lion. Then you won't have any trouble finding any other animal who agrees with you. I dare you find any animal at all that will look me in the eye and tell me that these are not my cubs. Do that, then I'll release them to you. Mama Lion got up, stretched and roared a ferocious roar. Mama Ostrich quickly ran off to each and every animal to tell them that she was assembling a meeting to discuss a terrible injustice. When she arrived at the home of the mongoose and told him her sad story, the mongoose thought and thought. Then he had an idea. He told her to dig a hole under an anthill and to make a second exit out of the anthill. This she did, and then she told all the animals, including Mama Lion, to gather there at the anthill. When all had gathered, Mama Ostrich explained to the group how Mama Lion had captured her dear sweet chicks. The zebras and antelopes and all the other animals glanced at the chicks held closely by Mama Lion and nodded with understanding. But when Mama Ostrich said that she needed just one animal to come forward and look Mama Lion in the eye and tell her that she was not the mother of these chicks, each and every animal in the meeting looked down at the ground. One by one, when each animal was asked, each animal whispered that the little ones definitely belonged to Mama Lion and there was no question about that. But when it came to Mongoose's turn, he cried out, 
Have you ever seen a mama with fur? With babies that had feathers? Think of what you're saying. Mama lion has fur. The chicks have feathers. They belong to the ostrich. And having said that, Mongoose jumped down the hole under the anthill and escaped out the other end. At once, Mama Lion jumped after him, and when she did, the two ostrich chicks were freed. Of course, they scrambled immediately right into their mother's open wings. Not knowing about the second exit, Mama Lion paced and paced by that ant hole hill, waiting for Mongoose to come out of the hole by which he had entered. Meanwhile, one by one, all the other animals slunk off home, leaving that mamma line waiting at the entrance to the anthill for a very, very, very long time. Let's take a journey with Jabu and the Lion. There was once a young herd boy named Jabu. He took great pride in the way in which he cared for his father's cattle. And his father had many cows, over twenty-five. It was quite a task to keep these silly creatures out of trouble, away from the farmer's corn and out of the dangerous roads. Jabu had some friends who also kept their father's cattle, but none of them had even half the herd Jabu did, and none of them were as careful as Jabu. It was a sign of Jabu's father's pride in his boy that he entrusted such a large herd to such a young boy. One day, as he sat atop a small hill, watching the animals feed and braiding long thin strips of grass into bangles for his sisters, Jabu's friend, Sipo, came running to him. Have you heard the news, my friend? panted Sipo. Before Jabu could even answer, Sipo rushed on to tell him. Bubizi the lion has been seen in these parts. Last night, Bubizi attacked and killed one of Tabo's father's cows. The men of the village are already setting traps for the beast. Jabu wasn't surprised by this news. His keen eyes had seen the signs of the lion. His left overkill, his prints here and there in the soft earth, his dung. Jabu had respect for the king of the beasts, and since Bubezi's pattern was to hunt at night when the cattle was safely within the corral, Jabu had seen no reason to alert the village of Bubezi's presence. But the killing of a cow? I wonder, thought Jabu to himself, if the cow was not left out of the corral. Tabu was known to be a sloppy herd boy, a fellow who ran with his head in the clouds. 
he had been known to forget a cow or two before. Come, friend, Sipo urged. Come and put your cows away for the day and watch with me as the men set the traps. Jabu slowly shook his head as he looked at Sipo and smiled. You know me, friend, he returned to Sipo's address. I cannot put the cattle back into the corral so early in the day. They need to be driven to the river before they go home. Sipo smiled. Yes, I thought you would say this, but I wanted to tell you anyway. I will see you later, friend, perhaps by the fire tonight. And Sipo ran toward the village with a final wave to Jabu. Jabu began to gather the cows together. He waved his intonga, his staff, and he gave a loud whistle. Each cow looked up, then, after a moment's pause, slowly started to trudge toward Jabu. With a grin, Jabu began to take them to water. Jabu bathed his feet in the cool, refreshing river as the cows drank their fill. It was a fine, sunny autumn day, and if his mind had not been so busy thinking about the line and the traps the men were setting, Jabu would probably be shaping the soft river clay into small cow figurines for his young brother. Then Jabu heard a sound that stole his breath from him. Came the bellow. The cows all froze, a wild look coming into their eyes. It was Bubezi, and he was near. There was no time to drive the animals home. The lion was much too close. Jabu slowly rose, looking carefully around, his hand clenched on his staff. He walked purposefully, trying not to show the fear that made his knees tremble, pulling the cattle together into a tight circle. The cows trusted him and they obeyed. Again he heard the roar. Bubezi was not declaring his majesty or might. It sounded more like a cry for help. Several more battles. And Jabu knew Bubezi was in trouble. Somehow, this took most of the boy's fear from him. Gripping his staff, Jabu quietly began to walk toward the lion's cry. Yes, indeed, the lion was in trouble. Jabu found him in a small clearing several metres across the river. He was caught in on one of the traps laid by the men of the village. His head was firmly wedged in the barred structure, and the more he struggled, the tighter the snare became. Jabu stood and stared. Never before had he seen the king of the animals so near. He truly was a majestic animal, and a large part of his heart was sore for the creature. Then the lion saw the boy. Oh boy, it is good you are here. Please help me. I am caught in this stupid trap and I cannot free myself. Please, please, will you come and pull up on the bar that is holding my head here? Please. Jabu looked into Bubezi's eyes. He could not read them. 
but he could hear the desperation in the animal's voice. Please, Mafana, please, before those hunters come and kill me, please, release me. Jabu had a tender heart, but he was no fool. I would very much like to free you, Bubezi, but I am afraid that as soon as I did so, you would make me your dinner. Oh, no, my friend. I could never eat someone who set me free. I promise, I really promise with full sincerity that I will not touch a hair on your head. Well, the lion begged and pleaded so pitifully that Jabu finally decided to trust him and set him free. Gingerly, he stepped over to the trap and raised the bar that held the lion's head. With a mighty bound, the lion leapt free of the trap and shook his mane. Thank you, Mafana. I really owe you something. My neck was getting so stiff in there, and I fear it would have been parted from my body by the hunters if you hadn't come along. Now, please, if you don't mind, Mafana, one last thing. I have become so thirsty from being in that thing. I would really like a drink of water. Can you show me where the river is? I seem to become confused with my directions. Jabu agreed, keeping a wary eye on the line and led the line upstream from where he had come away from his father's cows, since Bubezi had made no promise about not eating them. As Lion drank, he watched Jabu with one eye. He was thinking to himself, mm, Nice looking legs on that boy, mm, and those arms are good looking too. Pity to waste such an excellent meal. When the lion raised his head from the river, both eyes were on Jabu, and this time the boy could see what was reflected there. Jabu began to back up. You promised, Bubezi, Jabu began. I saved you from the hunters and you promised not to eat me. Yes, said Bubezi, slowly walking toward the retreating boy. You are right, I did make that promise, but somehow now that I am free... It does not seem so important to keep that promise. And I'm awfully hungry. You are making a big mistake, said Jabu. Don't you know that if you break your promises, that the pieces of the broken promises will come back to pierce you? The lion stopped and laughed. Ha! What nonsense! How can such a flimsy thing pierce me? I am more determined than ever to eat you now, boy. And he started stalking Jabu once more. And all this talk is just serving to make me hungrier. Just then, an old donkey happened across their path. Ask the donkey, said Jabu to the lion. Ask him and he will tell you how bad it is to break a promise. You are certainly dragging this thing out, so I will ask the donkey. The lion turned to the old creature. I want to eat this boy, he addressed the donkey. Isn't that okay? 
Jabu broke in. But he promised to let me go after I freed him from the snare, Jabu added. The donkey slowly looked at the lion and then at Jabu. I say, the donkey started, that all my life these stupid humans have beat me and forced me to carry things. Now that I am old, they turn me out and leave me to waste away all alone. I do not like humans. He turned back to the line. Eat the boy. And the donkey moved on. Well, that settles that, said the lion as he began to approach the boy once more. Just then, the jackal stepped between the two. Terribly sorry, he said, to have disturbed you. I'll be on my way. No, shouted Jabu. Wait, tell the lion how bad it is to break a promise. A promise? asked the jackal. Well, I suppose it depends upon the promise, doesn't it? Why, did one of you make a promise? Lion sat down and rolled his eyes up towards the heavens. Yes, Jabu said and he told Jackal how he had freed the lion from the trap and how Lion had promised not to eat him and how now Lion was intent upon doing that very thing. Oh, what a silly story, said Jackal. The great king of all the animals stuck in a little trap made by humans? Impossible! I don't believe it. It is true, said Bubezi. It is a strong and terrible trap. I can't believe anything is stronger than my king. I must see this thing, please. Will you take the courtesy before your dinner to show me this trap that you are speaking about, please? Then you can eat your meal in peace. So the lion, keeping Jabu in front of himself, led Jackal to the trap. But you can't tell me that this little thing could actually hold your head. Never, I just can't imagine it. Would you mind just sticking your head there so I can see how you look when the boy found you? Oh, you are taxing me with your questions. This last thing I will do for you, and then you must be on your way and leave me to my dinner in peace. So, Lion stuck his head back between the bars, just the way he had been when Jabu had found him. Then, quicker than lightning... Jackal threw the top bar in place. Lion was caught fast once more. Yes, said Jackal. Now I see how you were trapped. What a pity that you are so trapped once more. But the boy is right. Broken promises always catch up with you. Lion roared in anger. But the sound trap held him well. Jabu thanked the jackal and ran back to his cows, who were all patiently waiting for their shepherd's return. Jabu drove them home and into the corral. What a day he had had! Jabu, Jabu! Sipu came running from behind Jabu. A lion has been caught in the trap near the river. You and your cows missed all the adventure. Jabu turned and smiled at his friend. We have had all the adventures we need for one day, he said. And as Sipo headed back to the hunters to hear the story once again of the mighty lion caught in the trap, Jabu greeted his mother in the cooking house and sat down at the side.
Now, let's take a journey with The Talking Cat by Natalie Savage Carson. Long ago, in a village in Quebec, an old woman named Tante Odette lived with her beloved cat, Chouchou. Tante Odette was a careful, quiet woman. She never wasted anything. A pot of soup was always boiling on her stove, and every day Tante Odette added another cup of water and a few cabbage leaves to the pot. In this way, she never had to throw away the soup. Every Sunday, Tante Odette baked a loaf of bread, and if by Thursday that bread was stale, she softened it by dipping it into her soup. Chouchou was content to live on cabbage soup and crumbs. Every evening after supper, Tante Odette sat down at her loom to weave. Chouchou lay upon the striped rug at her feet and purred contentedly. Tante Odette smiled wistfully at Chouchou. Oh, what a perfect companion you are, mon chat, Chouchou. Oh, sometimes I wish you could talk. One evening, Tante Odette sat at her loom and Chouchou was stretched out upon her rug when suddenly they heard a thumping at the door. When Tante Odette opened it, she saw a strange old man wearing a bright red sash around his waist, a red checkered shirt, and a cap with a black feather tucked into the brim. He bowed slightly. Madame, I am Pierre Leblanc, and I have come to offer you my services as a workman. I am too old to trap furs or to work in the lumber camps, and I am looking for some work in a nice, cosy home like your own. Tante Odette pulled her shawl close. Oh, I don't need any help. I'm quite able to do all my work by myself. And besides, I have my cat, Shushu. She began to close the door in Pierre's face, but... He reached and held it open and looked intently at Chouchou. Ah, yes, he looks like a wise cat. Why don't you ask him if he thinks you ought to take me in? All I ask for my service is just shelter. Tante Odette laughed. Ah, cats can't talk, she said. But just then, to her surprise, Chouchou began to speak. I can indeed talk. I simply haven't come upon a matter serious enough to speak about until this moment. This Pierre Leblanc looks like a good, hard worker and an honest man, Tante Odette. I think you should take him in. Pierre Leblanc's moustache quivered and he smiled a little. Tante Odette stared at Chouchou and then at Pierre, and after a long silence she said, Well, it is so rare for a cat to speak. I'm certain I should listen when he does. So she opened the door wide and Pierre Leblanc stepped in. Once he was warm, he turned and looked with longing at the soup bubbling upon the stove. Chouchou said, Offer the man a bowl of soup. He looks hungry. Tante Odette was always careful not to squander, and the idea of giving away some of her precious food alarmed her. If she fed Pierre Leblanc, the soup would not last the whole week, and so she thought for a moment or two. But at last she said, It is rare indeed for a cat to speak, so I suppose I must offer you a bowl. This she did. 
after Pierre had finished eating, Chouchou stared at Tante Odette. Now give him a place to sleep. The poor fellow looks exhausted. This time, Tante Odette was quick. She showed Pierre up to the loft, and then she lifted her beloved cat into her arms and looked into his big green eyes. How amazing that after all these years of silence, you should begin to talk. What has come over you, dear Chouchou? Chouchou stared, but he refused to speak. He simply swirled his tail and curled it around his sleek golden body. Then he fell fast asleep. Weeks passed, and in those weeks Tante Odette came to understand how wise her cat was and how sound his advice. Pierre Leblanc worked hard and kept the place in fine order. He seemed content to sup upon the cabbage soup and stale bread. Chouchou did not say another word. And then, one night as Pierre was eating his soup, Chouchou spoke up. Tante Odette! Why do you serve only cabbage soup and stale bread? A man who works as hard as Pierre Leblanc needs meat pies. Tante Odette gasped. Chouchou! Meat pies cost lots of money. Money, money, money. Chouchou said scornfully. You cannot eat money. You cannot drink money. You cannot wear money. You cannot burn money for heat. Money is good only if you spend it, Tante Odette. Give Pierre some coins and he will go to town and buy us some things that we need. Once again, Tante Odette followed Chouchou's advice and after that, the larder was always filled with meats and sweets, chocolates and cheese, cookies and cakes. Tante Odette seemed happier with the world and she often looked into beloved Chouchou's eyes. Anything to say, my pet? But Shushu closed his eyes and slept contentedly. It seemed he had nothing to add. One day, while Pierre Leblanc was away in the forest chopping wood for the fire, a stranger came galloping down the road upon a horse. He, too, wore a red checkered shirt and a red sash tied around his waist and a cap with a black feather tucked into the brim. He stopped at Tante Odette's house and knocked. When Tante Odette opened the door, he said, Madame, can you tell me if Pierre Leblanc lives here? Indeed he does. The stranger nodded and said, Of course there are many men in this world with the name Pierre Leblanc. Does this Pierre Leblanc wear a bright red sash and a checkered shirt like mine, and does this Pierre Leblanc have a long moustache like mine? Oh, that is the man, said Tante Odette. The stranger grinned. And is this the Pierre Leblanc who can throw his voice? Tante Odette squinted at the man. What on earth do you mean? Only a few have the gift, only one in thousands, but the Pierre Leblanc I seek can throw his voice behind a tree, across a room, into a box, up to the roof, so that when he speaks it seems as if someone else 
is speaking. Taunt Odette gasped again, and her face flushed bright red. I would never allow such a man inside my house. I do not like magic. Just then, Pierre Leblanc appeared on the path leading to Tant Odette, and when Pierre saw this stranger, he ran to him, and they embraced. Ah, Pierre, I've looked for you all summer long, the stranger said. I want you to come back and hunt with me this winter. And soon the two men were laughing and joking and talking together at the kitchen table. Tant Odette looked at Chouchou. Dear Chouchou, what can this man mean? I'm afraid our Pierre Le Blanc may be evil. Chouchou looked up at Tante Odette and winked one big green eye. Don't be silly, he's a marvellous man. But that stranger told me he can throw his voice. Ha! I've never heard such foolishness. No one can do such a thing. Tante Odette sighed with relief, and then she thought about all the hard work Pierre Leblanc had done for her, and she thought about how happy she and Chouchou had been ever since he came along. She walked to Pierre's side. You won't be leaving us, will you? If you stay, I can even pay you for your work from time to time. Pierre grinned, and when he did, his moustache quivered, and he stood up and bowed low to Tante Odette and to Chouchou. I am happy to stay with you and Chouchou, the wise cat. And now I'll go outside and unload the wood I have chopped. I'll stack it neatly by the door. His red sash swirled as he walked outside to finish his chores, and the stranger followed him. Chouchou lay down on his rug, winked one green eye and fell fast asleep. And though he seldom talked after that day, they all lived happily ever after. Let's take a journey with the hare in the moon. Long, long ago, many strange things happened, and one of them was that a hare, a monkey, and a fox agreed to live together. They talked about their plan for a long time. Then the hare said, I promise to help the monkey and the fox. The monkey declared, I promise to help the fox and the hare. The fox said, I promise to help the hare and the monkey. They shook hands, or rather, paws. There was something else to which they agreed, and that was that they would harm no living creature. Now, when the Lord of the Heaven above the mountain heard of this plan, he was greatly pleased, but he said to himself, 
I should like to make sure that what I have heard is true and that they are really gentle and kind to others as well as to themselves. I will go to the forest and see how they behave towards strangers. And so the Lord of the heaven above the mountain dressed himself in rags and appeared before the three animals like a beggar. May I come into your lodge and rest? He asked. I am very weary. All three of the animals came toward him and gave him a warm welcome. Come into our lodge, they said. We have agreed to help one another and so of course we will help you too. Oh, I have been hungry all day, said the Lord of the Heaven above the mountain. But I should rather have such a welcome than food. But if you are hungry, you must have food, declared the three animals. If there were anything in our lodge that you would care to eat, you might have part of it, or all of it. But alas, we fear there is nothing here that you would like. But then the monkey cried out, Wait, I have a plan. I will go out into the forest and find you some food. The monkey scampered off and climbed a high tree to pick a bunch of the sweetest mangoes he could find, and he brought them back to the Lord of the Heaven above the mountain. Oh, will you not eat some of these yourself? asked the Lord. No, answered the monkey. I had rather see you eat it, for I think you are far hungrier than I. Now the Lord of the Heaven wished to know whether the fox and the hare would behave as unselfishly as the monkey toward him, and so he said, Oh, my good friends, the fruit was indeed welcome, but I am still hungry. At once the fox piped up. Then I will go out into the forest and see what I can find for you. When the fox came back, he said, I tried to find you more fruit, but I could not climb the trees, but my paws are not made for climbing. But I searched on the ground and at last I found some hominy that is just some dried corn, that a traveller had left, and I've brought you that. The Lord of the Heaven thanked the fox and ate up the hominy. But now he wanted to see if the hare was also as kind and generous as his friends, and so no sooner had he finished than he said, Oh, my good friends, the hominy was indeed welcome, but I am still hungry. The hare did not hesitate. He bounded forward, saying, I will gladly go out into the forest and search for food. He was gone a long time, and when he came back, he brought no food. Oh, I am very hungry, said the Lord of the Heaven above the mountain. Friend, said the hare, if you will build a fire beside the rock, I can give you some food. So the Lord of the Heaven built a fire, and the hare said, Now I will spring from the top of the rock upon the fire. I have heard that men eat flesh that is taken from the fire, and so I will give you my own flesh. The hare sprang from the rock. But 
the Lord of the heaven caught him in his hands before the flame could touch him. And he said, Dear unselfish little hare, the monkey and the fox have welcomed to me and searched the forest to find me food. But you have done even more, for you have given me yourself. I will take the gift, little hare, and I will carry you in my arms up to the moon, so that everyone on the earth may see you and hear the tale of your kindness and unselfishness. And to this very day, the Native American Indian people say that if you look up at the moon on a dark night, you can see a hair in the moon. And this is the story that they tell their children about that kind and gentle I hope you enjoyed all of our stories for this month. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories aplenty that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.